So, so God is through Moses has led the children of Israel through the desert. How many years did it take them to get through this this desert? Forty years, yeah. And guess what? It's only like uh, a couple hundred miles. So what took them so long? And uh, that was that was kind of a actually part of what we talked about a couple weeks ago. And a whole generation of the of these Jewish people that got stubborn and said, we're not going to go into the land. God said, okay. And he let them, he let them, that generation time out. And so now their kids are the ones that are approaching the modern nation of Israel, what we call the promised land. And as they come up to the border, which is the modern day country of Jordan, they face a big obstacle. Anybody know what that obstacle is? Remember the story? It's a river. What river? Jordan River, yes. And the Jordan happens to be in flood stage. That means it's way overflowed its banks. It's rushing across there. And God tells Joshua, who's now taken over for Moses, because Moses has passed away, he said, I want you to lead these people across this river. So that's kind of crazy, isn't it? But God gives, as Joshua seeks the Lord, the Lord gives him directions, and he tells him, tells him get these priests to carry the ark down, and when they start walking into the river, the river's going to stop running, stop flowing. And so they do that, and the river backs up and stops flowing. That must have been just an incredible sight. And all that nation of people that's... Uh, maybe a million and a half souls, walks across the riverbed following the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant, if you want to know about that, watch Indiana Jones, right? No, I'm just kidding. It's, in the, it's all through the Bible. But um, So they come to the other side and they face the first opposition. But before that happens, something else changes for these, these children of Israel. And that is all the supernatural provision that God's been giving them for their food and their clothing stops. No more manna from heaven. They don't wake up in the morning and find their food, their breakfast on the ground. Their clothes now, which didn't wear out for 40 years, can you imagine that? Got the same pair of Levi's for 40 years. <laughs> their clothes now start wearing out. They start wearing normally. And, and they are now facing a huge fortified city. And we know what the name of that city is. Jericho. And so what are they going to do? They know that they, they don't have sophisticated weapons. They don't have the ability to, to tunnel underneath the walls. This is a very strong fortified city filled with a lot of soldiers. And so God has caused them now again to come into an impossible situation, impossible circumstances that they cannot, they don't have what it takes to deal with this problem. Does it sound impossible to you, what they're facing? The walls of Jericho? I think I got a picture of them. This may be previous slide. 
This Jericho story is all about this one thing. Trusting God to be who He says He is and that He will make a way through impossible circumstances. To believe that He really does love His people and has a way through what seems impossible. Brooke and I, um, a number of years ago when we were in Oregon, we bought a house from a lady that had been a piano player in our church and was retiring. Her husband had passed away and she was moving away. She was like 70. And uh, she sold us this little house on the edge of a hill. And, and we got a good deal on it because it needed a lot of work. And that's something Brooke and I tend to get into is house situations that need a lot of work. And um, so we moved in and we thought, this is cool. We'll, we'll remodel the, the basement of the house because it was really in bad shape. And then it rained. It had a big rainstorm. And guess what? The rain went right through the walls in the basement into the house and flowed down and back out the other side of the basement. We realized we had a problem. The foundation had been made with sea sand. They had mixed the concrete with sea sand, and, it, and, it, and, it, and they also had, had cracks and gaps in it, so every time it rained, it just flooded the basement. And what the people had done previously is just added more plywood on top of the rotten floor. So we realized we are in an impossible situation. We just spent all the money we had buying the house, and now we're living in the upper part of it. And uh, we're going, God, what do we do? We went to the bank and said, can we borrow some money to fix our house? And they said, um, what do you have for collateral? And we go, well, the house. And they said, well, your house is worthless because it's, it's in such bad shape. I go, that's why we want to borrow the money. And they said, no. So I remember the day Brooke and I just, we just were broken. And we just said, God, what can we do? We are utterly powerless. And we just prayed and prayed. And we had a, a guy in the church who was a builder who says, I can do the work, but I've got to have money to be able to, to do the work for you to fix the house. And um, I remember we waited like a week. Just nothing we could do. We couldn't really go downstairs. Not only was it mildewy and, and smelled terrible, but there were rats. Old furniture. It was just bad. And uh, finally, one day, we got a phone call from the bank. And it was uh, a local loan officer. And she said, um, she said, I'm looking at your situation. And I decided to review it again. And she said, I'm going to go out on a limb here. But she said something about you guys. I don't know what it is, but I just felt like I was supposed to to trust you, and we're going to loan you $35,000. And we were just like, oh, that's crazy. God, you came through. And we hired our friend Mark, the contractor. He jacked the house up 12 inches on big beams, tore out the whole lower story, framed, uh, uh, framed in uh, walls and poured concrete, made a beautiful new foundation with three bedrooms and a bathroom downstairs, set the house back down on top of it, and we ended up having that house for a couple of years, and then we actually sold it. God provided for us. 
So, an impossible situation. An impossible situation from human human's perspective. And that God came through. So how about you? And you think of an impossible situation that you faced in your life where if it wasn't for God coming through, there was nothing you could do about it? So the children of Israel are facing Jericho, this great big army, and they don't have what it takes to defeat them. They're standing in front of those walls, maybe a little mile or two away. And the walls are sealed up tight. Those people inside are terrified of this Israeli army. I don't know why. They don't have real sophisticated weapons or anything. And their walls are very secure. I guess they were wide enough you could drive a chariot around the top of the walls. David later on wrote a couple psalms. And he talks about this situation. In Psalm 20, verse 7 and 8, says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Our enemies are brought to their knees and fall, but we will rise up and stand firm. That was in Psalm 20. In Psalm 44, he says, I don't trust in weapons. My sword won't save me. But it's you, you who saved us from the enemy, you made those who hate us lose face. So God is saying to us today, He's saying when you face impossible circumstances, turn to Me. Trust in Me. Seek Me and there will be a way for you. I'm not going to abandon you. Some of us need to hear that this morning. A little bit later on, Brooke and I were asked when we had moved to Kent, Washington, we were asked to, actually it was before, not later, we were asked to go to the country of Romania and help. We were invited to go over and teach in a Bible college and, um, and, and just spend a couple weeks there. Now, I was doing a paper route for income. I, had, I used my truck, delivered like 300 newspapers every day. And I worked part-time for the church for a very small salary. I was the worship leader. And, um, and Brooke did a paper route too. So we were making enough money to pay our bills, and that was it. So we both thought, how are we going to go to Romania? That's a country in Eastern Europe. But we kept hearing Romania. Every time we turned around, we'd meet somebody that was either from Romania or knew something about Romania or was telling us about Romania. We went to a lunch, and the pastor says, I think you're supposed to go to Romania. And he says, I even think I should help you. He never did help us. But, so we're in another impossible situation. We feel like God wants us to go to Romania, but we don't know how we would get there. So anyway, I'm working now. I gave up the paper out, and I'm working for a guy named Daryl doing construction. And uh, we're working on a mobile home one day. I think I was building aluminum railings. And... Uh, we break for lunch, and, and uh, Daryl says to me, so what's going on with you guys? And I said, well, I said, we were invited to go to Romania. At, um, we're supposed to, they want us to come over and teach in a Bible college there. My former youth pastor is a missionary over there. And he says, well, how is that going to happen? <laughs> I said, that's exactly the question we have. We don't know how we're going to do it. We don't really have any extra money. 
And he goes, well, how much would it cost to go to Romania? And I said, well, I think we could do it for about $3,000 because airfare is a couple thousand and they don't have to give us a thousand just for food and stuff to get around. Our friends there that we will meet will take care of us a little bit. And he whipped out his checkbook and wrote a check for $3,000. It's like, what? <laughs> so God provided in another impossible situation. Is there anything impossible in your life right now that you would like to see God do? Think about it. Some of you I know are facing impossibilities just because I know you enough to hear a little bit of your stories. Think about it in your life. Is there something that you really feel God wants to do in your life, but right now it feels impossible. I want to encourage you to start thinking that possible, the impossible can become possible with God. What was it, Alice in Wonderland? The quote in the, it says, I get up. Yeah, I thought of at least seven impossible things before breakfast. Something like that. <laughs> So this situation, what happens with the children of Israel, we're going to read about it in Joshua 6. And I'm just going to read a little, a couple diff, just a couple parts of it. So I'm going to start in verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were sh tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out, or go out or go in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of, you, of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around it, around the town seven times, with the priests blowing the horns. And then when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, does that sound like a, a viable plan to you? Just walk around this town and then shout and the walls will fall down. Uh-huh, okay. I mean, you ever thought about how foolish this sounded? It kind of sounds like the crazy thing God asked Noah to do. I want you to build a great, big, huge boat. But we read in Genesis that it had never rained. It watered, the water came up from the ground at that time. Can you imagine what Noah felt like, what the people around him thought about Noah? If you've ever seen the movie with, with uh, what's his name, Jim, who's it? Who's the actor that played? Yeah, Steve Carell playing Noah. He does a great job. But that's the way it was. There had never been rain. And God asked Noah to do something that looked so stupid. So if this, if this is kind of a pattern with God and we kind of see that it is, that means when you get into your next impossible situation, God may ask you, as you pray and ask Him for wisdom, 
He may ask you to do something that sounds foolish, that's not exactly conventional wisdom. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? Where God gave you directions that just didn't make any sense logic-wise, common sense-wise? Maybe God asked you to pray. He maybe asked you to fast. He may ask you to give. If we are really serious about following God, then we're going to listen to the directions He gives us. And sometimes those directions are going to be, we will not understand why. But God has a reason. And part of it is God wants us to get to the point of trusting Him so much that we will do whatever He asks us to do, even if it looks weird. Am I making any sense here? Let me tell you an example. In um, about 1995, we felt like the Lord wanted us to take, um, it was about 11 people, to go on a mission trip to Mexico, to the Baja Peninsula. We're in this church in Kent, Washington. And um, we didn't have a van. So I asked around and I found a pastor that had a used van that we could borrow. This is 1995. This was a 1978 Ford van. 1978 Ford van with over 200,000 miles on it. We called it El Guapo, which means the turtle. Something like that. So we load up our friends and their kids and our kids who were young then. And this is the day to leave. And we leave and we drive an hour and a half towards Mexico and the, and the alternator goes out. So fortunately, it was a Saturday. We found an auto parts store that was open and close enough for the battery died, went completely empty. And we got to this auto parts store and, and um, somebody bought us the alternator because we didn't have any money really. And, and we, we, in the parking lot, we put the alternator on. And then we all got in the van and we kept going. Went down Interstate 5. We got all the way to Roseburg, Oregon. And some of the fuses went out and the lights stopped working. So we, we found an auto parts store, pulled in, got some fuses, managed with some work to get the lights on again. And then we got all the way into Mexico. And this took a couple days. And, and we got into Mexico, and we were in the Baja Peninsula, which is very mountainous. And we were going to this place called El Campo Cristiano that was um, over a mountain range. And we, we got up on a pass, and on, on the left-hand side, as we're going south towards, uh, actually, the, uh, the, 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 what's the name of the big bay that comes in? The Baja Peninsula. Any of you guys know Mexico well enough? Yeah, yeah, and uh, Gulf of California. We were, we were up on this mountain pass. It was about 1,000, a, a 2,000 feet straight down on the left side. And it's nighttime. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and the lights go out in the van. And there's enough moonlight to see that there's a little bit of a turnout, and it's on the side with the bank. So we just pull off the road enough so that nobody's going to hit us if they come down the road, although there was nobody out there in the middle of the night on a mountain pass in Mexico. So here we are, 11 people in a van, and, and I'm going, God, what do I do? I tried replacing the fuse. It didn't help. I said, God, what do we do? We, we, we all got together and prayed, said, Lord, show us what to do. 
And I felt like the Lord said, anoint the van with oil. I said, the only oil I had was Valvoline. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I took a little bit of oil and a cap, anointed the van. We prayed over the van and said, be healed in Jesus' name. We got in the van, turned the key on, and started up. The lights came on. I felt like Joshua shouting at a wall. God has his ways. And they're supernatural. He's a supernatural God. And we get into impossible circumstances, the first thing we want to do is freak out. And God's saying, I'm allowing these circumstances to come into your life because I want, I want to show myself to you that I'm a great God who really cares and I'm powerful enough to help you in your circumstances. So, Maybe you've been asked to do a crazy thing like that. Um, I'm going to do one more quick story. Brooke and I, later on, were invited to go to, back to Romania. Now, this is the first trip. This is the trip that, the, that was uh, supernaturally provided for by the guy I was working for. He wrote that check. So we, we fly into Frankfurt because we're supposed to meet a missionary friend there. And we get off, get out, we get in the city of Frankfurt, Germany, and we have to cross into the Czech Republic, and then from there we take a train to go to Romania. So it was kind of like getting to Romania the, by a big detour through Germany and the Czech Republic. And so, except we got there, the missionary um, notified us that he wasn't able to come. He had to go somewhere, emergency. So we were all by ourselves in Frankfurt. They told us it was easy. Everybody spoke English. We found out that wasn't true. And uh, so here we are. We go to a train station. And, the, and it, they changed the track that our train was going to be leaving on, the one that was going to go to the Czech Republic. They moved it over two tracks. And then they announced that change in German. And I remember watching and saying, Brooke, I think that was our train that just left. No. <laughs> you said that? And you were like, no, it's not. So I was sure that wasn't our train. And then I realized a few minutes later that it was our train. So we said, God, what do we do? We were stuck. Somebody had just stolen my hat. I had a really cool Indiana Jones hat. And uh, Germany was not a good experience for us. So I felt like the Lord said, get on the slow train. Now the slow train is the commuter train. It stops every 5, 10 miles. And we had about 100 miles to go to get over into Czech Republic. And then we found out that the train didn't even get to the border until about midnight, and, and that the last stop was right at the border, and it was still 30 miles away from the city we were supposed to go to, Thir or 30 kilometers or something like that. So we get on this slow train, we visit with people, stops every 10 minutes, just takes forever to get there. We finally get there, and we get off the train, and there's a little train station that's got one light bulb in a window. Otherwise, it's pitch dark. It's midnight. We're in a, we're in a strange city. or it's, I don't know if it's a village or a city. And uh, we don't know what to do. And uh, no, yeah, the phones didn't work. Our friends who were waiting for us didn't know what had happened to us. So we see this one light bulb on, and we go, we go knock on the door or something. And 
Yeah, come here and tell it. We, it's just not on. You have to understand, this is pre-cell pre phone days. And there's no hotel in the town. So this is a little town with one light bulb, no hotels, and no cell phone. And it's about 40 degrees out. So we're sitting on our suitcase. And we're looking at each other. And we're looking at a single light bulb. And we're wondering if we have the courage to walk down the platform and knock at the one light bulb door. And uh, you have to understand, this is all the fault of the German missionary who insisted we come to Germany and then flew out the night before, who told us we didn't need a translation guide and we didn't need any German money. So he left us really high and dry. I maybe needed to forgive him before communion, huh? <laughs> so anyway, long story made longer. It, I was willing to walk. And Jim thought I was nuts, but I'm like, it's seven miles. We can do this. We, we, we've come all this way, and I was so mad. And um, he's like, no, because this is Mr. Persistence. So he knocks on the door. I would have rather died. And uh, this lady comes out, and she's the train master, but she's also the chief of police. And so we didn't know that. We just saw a very tired lady with half a, half a uniform on, and she cobbles together what had happened to us, and in this era, if you get in a taxi, what they do is they put you in the front and your luggage in the back, and then they triple the amount of money that they're charging you, which we didn't have more money. And, and so I, I was more willing to walk than I was to call a taxi because I didn't want to end up without our luggage. And um, so she figures out, this is, this is the Czech Republic. We'd we, we come through Germany but we didn't speak Czech or German. And so she gets on the phone with a taxi cab driver, and we don't know anything, but she says, you all right, you all right. And uh, so she puts us in the taxi cab, and we get to Librech, uh, Czechoslovakia, or wherever it was, and our friends are there, the missionaries, and they want to know the story because they thought we'd been kidnapped or they something. Yeah, and so we put together, we repeated the phrase that we remembered, and she starts laughing because she goes, oh, I know who that is. And she goes, she's the chief of police there, and she threatened him with death if he charged you one penny more than you were supposed to be charged. So we ended up in the right place, but not through our self. And I think that Lord did that to us on purpose. I think he wanted us to come to the end of our solution, and that's the point of the story. to come to the end of trusting in yourself. Did you hear that? And so He will allow you to get into circumstances that are way over your heads like we did. And we've done a number of times. And I just want to tell you that we don't ever seem to get this perfectly right at the beginning. Every time we get in a mess, the first thing we do is tend to freak out. And then we have to kind of catch ourselves by the back of the neck and say, no, we're, we're going to trust God. God hasn't left us. He's going to bring us through. So what happened to the, to the uh, Israelites? In Joshua 6, verse 20, 21, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. 500 years later, God does something very similar. He, 
Israel has got three main big armies approaching them and, uh, and that are way outnumber them and they've, they've heard they're on their way to attack them and, and so they are freaked out and um, so the king, he calls the prophet and they get together and, and, um, and they go before the Lord and they, and they pray this prayer to God. Verse 9 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. Whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come and stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored, God. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. That's a great prayer. That's a prayer of faith. He goes on in verse 12, We are powerless against this mighty army. You know, sometimes God wants you and me to, be, to get into powerless situations so He can show Himself strong for us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you and for help. I think King James says, Our eyes are on you, Lord. I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 18. So they're worshiping the Lord. And then it says, The king appointed the worship team to walk ahead of the army. What do you think about that? <laughs> he puts the worship team out in front. <laughs> to sing to the Lord and praise Him for His holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love endures forever. Can you imagine that? Did that take faith to put the worship team? I mean, if you cared about your worship team, that took faith. At the very moment in verse 22, we read that they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the, Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. And after that, then they started attacking each other. So that when the worship team and the army behind them finally reach where this all happened, there's nobody left alive. And there's a huge amount of plunder which they got to take home. Do you get what God is speaking to you from Joshua and Jericho this morning? What is your Jericho? What, are the, what is the wall you are facing today? Or if it's not today, it'll probably be tomorrow or the next day or a day soon, right? We all face impossible situations. But if you know the Lord and are His child then you are not facing that impossible situation, that Jericho wall, by yourself. God is with you and will help you if you turn to Him like Jehoshaphat did and say, Lord, our eyes are on you. Tell us what to do, because we are powerless. So what is your Jericho this morning? Think about that. I want to write it down. 
There's a really cool song that came out a few months back called Jericho. And uh, I don't know if Brett could pull it up on the, on the uh, I think I put it on our Calvary um, song list at the bottom of it, just called Jericho. And it goes like this, all my fears like Jericho walls. Yeah, I mean, the, the music, actually, you can play it on after we're done off our song list, our Spotify. We pay for Spotify so we can do that. All my fears like the Jericho walls got to come down, come down. Any of you recognize this song? Some of you do. All my fears like Jericho walls got to come down, come down. My prison turns to ruin when your love moves in. All my fears like Jericho walls got to come down, come down, come down. What are your fears this morning? What are your fears that are like a Jericho wall? God wants to be magnified in your circumstances and in your life. He wants you to know you can trust Him in a way that you've never trusted Him before. God wants to be that for you. How many of you this morning say, I want to trust God like that? I want to trust God for my walls. All right. Um, in a minute. So, as we close, um, I want to just ask a couple questions here, three questions. Obedience is a key theme here between God and these Israelites. He tells them, this, if you want to win this war, you've got to do this crazy thing. You've got to march around the wall, and you've got to shout with the trumpet sounds. And they did it. They obeyed him. They did the foolish-looking thing. So maybe a key to your wall falling is being willing to do the foolish-looking thing. Are you willing to look like an idiot in somebody else's eyes in order to obey God? That's the first question. Second question is, maybe God wants you to do something that's different than what you would do. Is there an area in your life that you think God is calling you to obey Him and maybe do something that you've never thought about doing? Anointing of 78 Ford van with Valvoline, 30 weight. I felt really foolish doing that. And finally, have you decided to trust Jesus with your life and your future yet? Maybe some of you here have never done that. Never said, Jesus, it's time for me to surrender to you to receive you not only as my Savior, to forgive my sins, but to be my Lord, to begin to lead me in my life. And if, if you've never done that, today is the best day in, in the world for you to do that. So I want to close in prayer, and then I want to make opportunity, if you need to be prayed for, for us to pull some walls down, your Jericho walls today, we want to do that, and we'll play that song in a minute. So, God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the power of this story. Thank you for the things we're learning from the Israelite people. They made so many stupid mistakes, but they also obeyed you in some pretty amazing ways. They actually crossed the Jordan River on bare ground during flood stage. They actually marched around the wall six days in a row. I'm sure there were people throwing tomatoes and apples at them, but they obeyed you. Lord, show us today where I need to obey you and how I can trust you. 
Lord, I, I ask you to remind me, show me what my wall is, my Jericho, that I need to let you give me wisdom and understanding of how you want to overcome that thing because I am powerless. So I thank you for your people, Lord. I ask you to bless them. Today, Lord, I pray you would help us to know you in a new and a deeper way as we trust you with what's going on in our, in our situations, with our walls. And we thank you, Father, for this morning and for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Next Sunday's Easter Sunday. It's a great day to invite a friend. And uh, we're going to have a, a, probably a wonderful breakfast. Starts at 9 o'clock. We encourage you to come for that. So again, if you need prayer this morning, just hang out. And we're going to play that song. Turn the video off, please, Brett. Thanks. Turn it up a little bit, Dale, or Brett.